I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought his I sought the Lord. At night I stretched out untiring hands, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remember you, O God, and I groaned. I mused, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused, and my spirit inquired, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God for forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years of the night of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The kids are invited to Kids Church. cried out for the God for help. I cried out for God to hear me. This psalm uh, begins in the night, which is interesting. It begins at this time of sort of darkness setting upon the psalmist um, and what the psalmist is going through and what the psalmist is thinking. And it's got, as we talked about last week, this, um, not all the psalms, but many of the psalms can take you sort of on a journey within your own story, within your own life, within your own 
um, place. Is that the psalm uh, starts in verses sort of one through nine, ten-ish, of sort of like this this lament um, and a very uh, individualized lament. I, I, my soul, my this. And then it begins then in 10 to be recollect the mighty works of God. To say that that's the place where the psalmist settles. What's interesting about this is it's so... Um, biblical critical scholars, um, for lack of things to do, invent reasons for things. And so one of the reasons they come to this psalm is they're like, it must have been written by two different people. Because the disjunction between what the psalmist is experiencing verses 1 through 9, 10-ish, and where the psalmist ends is so large that it must be two different people, as if that's, that's a solution to the problem. We figured it out. Um, but we can see that as we read the psalm ourselves. This, this psalm sort of has that sort of um, magnified low of low, and then it sees the light dawn in its darkness. Or, um, if I forget to say this at the end, it's almost as if the psalmist finally falls asleep. The psalmist at the beginning cannot sort of deal with the night terrors that surround them. But the words at the end sort of have this notion of like, and then I rested. And then I was able to go to bed. So the psalm has this sort of journey within it. Now one of the things that... um, Peterson sort of, Peterson and others, uh, two, two scholars sort of really want to look at this psalm, is, is the first sort of nine verses are sort of f- full of self-pity, self-reflection, self-sort of obsession. Um, which brings us to this line from Gregory of Nyssa, we celebrate not our sickness, but our cure. We celebrate not our sickness, but our cure. Now Gregory of Nyssa wrote in the, oh man, I should, look this up, I think 300s, or um, so very early, and, but it's not hard to hear this in our world today, too, is that we want to celebrate our sickness. There are so many books written about the sicknesses of our souls with no cure added into them. Or one of my favorite, um, uh, before I pick on the world, I try to pick on the church first as best as I can. Um, when I was in college, the people would get up and give their testimony about what God had done in their lives and how they had been saved. And what they would tell often is at least 10 to 15 minutes of how bad they were, how many bad things they did. And for me, it was like, man, I got to really think because my testimony's got to be good. Um, uh, not that I was that good. I just didn't have... Um, there's a prayer we use sometimes here from Stanley Hauerwas. Um, we want our sins to be interesting. I was like, ah, I got to pick an interesting um, sin. I went to one once, and God bless this guy. He was, he was a good friend, but um, he, he's, his big sin reveal was that he loved basketball too much. And I was like, the guy who went before you was addicted to meth. Like, this is, um, uh, I get that idolatry is a real issue, but, but we got to work on our stories here. <laughs> Point being that the church has this tendency too to want to, because normally they would get to this point and then in the middle of the night, <laughs> connected to the psalm, um, or at this moment of weakness or whatever, I finally prayed to receive God. And then the band would start back up and they'd get off the stage. That, that there was no celebration of the cure. So much of the testimony was focused on the sickness, the disorder, 
the, the dysfunction of their own lives, that it was like when they met Jesus, I mean, the assumption was it got better, praise God, um, but we didn't hear about how it got better. And also, notably, we also didn't hear um, that, and this I think is the biggest challenge of this one, is that the Christian life might be more, interested than, more interesting than our disordered, sinful, disintegrating life that we left behind. That's the challenge, right? You know, if we focus so much on, hey, look, I'm going to tell you all these interesting stories about how I loved basketball too much, which didn't work, um, but like how I thought um, God's love through broken relationships, broken family, uh, sexual deviancy, alcohol dependency, whatever you want to pick for these, these confessions, we can celebrate the rescue. Um, and I think to be fair to those moments, I don't want to pick on these too much, <laughs> too late. Um, um, there was a bit of, and then I was rescued. But the hard part was, is that like you'd leave and you'd remember more of the darkness than of the light coming into the light. And so that's how it exists sort of in the church world, is that we have this way in which we want to, and if you're wondering, this is, this is connected to that first part of the psalm in which the psalmist is very interiorly focused on like, I reached out, I was lost, I was this, um, uh, not looking towards the cure, but looking just within the self. And if, if you, when we go through it, we'll sort of track this, but like there's similar things like I meditated and it didn't work. And then in the second, the second part of the psalm, I meditate upon your mighty works. There's in some sense which like when we reach these points of sort of like trying to, to help ourselves in the night, sometimes we're like, I'm going to meditate on my good deeds. I'm going to meditate on how awesome I am. I'm going to meditate on how I messed everything up. I mean, it could be anything, um, but like even this meditation thing, it can be like this focused on like we focus on our sickness, but not on our cures. Now, paying attention to the modern world, I, I brought up the, the notion of memoirs and many things sort of written about our dependencies and this and how we focus on what ails us so much but we don't focus on our cures. But even more so, and I think this is um, sort of a pointed thing in the modern world, is that we, the celebration of our sickness often is how we gain um, power or sort of competency in the world. To say that I have this affliction, I have this sort of thing, this, that, and the other, doesn't, um, it's this weird sort of inversion of Christianity. It's not supposed to inspire, inspire care. It's supposed to ins uh, inspire that they are, they are somehow, um, have a different lived experience, have a different narrative, have some other strength within themselves. Um, you'll see this, unfortunately, with um, mental health sometimes, that people will say, like, my my autism is my superpower or something like that, which is to say um, it's, it's hard to then say, how can I meet you in your grief? How can I meet you in your loss? Like we celebrate our sicknesses not so that people can be inspired to sit with us and weep or to sit with us and help or to sit with us and care, but so that we might have um, advantage, so that we might gain in the world. Um, there's a host of celebrities, uh, I don't know if I want to go down this road. Um, ask Kelly afterwards about celebrities who have multiple sclerosis and, and my story and, and that. Like, because there's a lot of them that like, use this as like, care for us, this, that, and the other, but it only comes from like, we have power because we have this affliction. And I think, no, we have, um, 
a space for you to meet us in. I mean, in our hurts in life, we have, we have this call that we can meet in relationship. We can learn what it's like to be in anguish and in pain and then go forth and be with others who are in anguish and in pain. Like that might be um, the way in which we consider our sicknesses. Is not to say that here I am, this is my superpower, this is who I am, hear me roar, whatever. Um, but to say what I've been instructed in through my loss, through my illness, through my difficulties, has, has taught me and instructed me to care for others who go through that. Um, and so, you know, th third century, we celebrate not our sickness, but our cure. And that's where this psalm journeys. It's, it's, it's incidental that only Psalm 88, as much as we talk, in seminary we found out about the lament psalms. Say, think what you will about seminary. Um, like it became this thing. And we began to only think like lament such a huge role in the Psalter and this, that, and the other. But there's only one, Psalm 88, that sort of ends in that space. All the others, most of the others, end with this some sense of hope that God is going to meet us in our cure. And so perhaps, you know, we might be able to celebrate our sickness, Psalm 88, um, one out of 50 times. <laughs> um, but yet we live in a world where it's 100 out of 50 times, or 125 out of 50 times, or, you know, such that, that you know, the Bible, I, one of the things I love about the Bible, which other people find frustrating, is that it always has one countertext that no matter what rule you say, there's one exception, and I think it's meant to keep us from over-programming God. To say, you know, every lament ends in happiness. That's Psalm 88, and it's like, well, well not every. Um, I think that that, uh, I, I appreciate, uh, people find that frustrating because they'll come to me and they'll say, what does the Bible say about this? And I'll say, 95% of the time this, but, um, and they're like, you were of no help. I'm going to go Google this. And I was like, uh, I should have given my answer because I might trust that more than Google. Um, Point being, I don't know. I, that one was a weird aside. Um, going forward, uh, the, the psalmist, um, yeah, uh, this psalm, like many of the, of the other psalms, does not actually tell us what's afflicting the psalmist. And so while um, two scholars sort of want to walk into this aware that this is very self-centered at the beginning, there's two other ways you could look at it, too. You could look at it as... Um, actual affliction. This person is going through an affliction that raises these questions. Um, they're not just being self-focused about this, but, but there's a real pain here and there's a real affliction. Sometimes in that we can get self-pity, self self-centered, um, but that would be one way of reading this. It's hard because we all come to these at different places, right? You know, you might be in the midst of a real dark night and this journey might mean something else for you. And, and yet there are people who are saying, well, there are psalms for that, but this one might be in the midst of your own self-reflection, your own self-consumption over something. That, that the solution here is not so much um, the miraculous or some hopeful cure beyond. Here, the solution here is an expansion of the soul in some ways, to say, look, I've locked myself into my darkness, into my room, into my insomnia. He, the psalmist even says that God is the fault of his insomnia. Um, and he tries to sing lullabies to go to sleep. And what brings him out of it is this expansion into the larger community, into the world, into to greater depths. And so um, 
this one has a different journey to it. Again, there are many different psalms with many different journeys on it. Um, but we hear somebody in anguish. The, the third way, which is also interesting, is the psalm could be born out of exile. And so in this way, you would read the psalm and you would hear someone of questioning where God has been while these people have gone into another place in which they are consumed, in which they um, can no longer worship as they would like, no longer keep um, their diet as they would like, no longer have the normative poles of their community life together, so much so that they're asking, where is God in this? And I think um, many of us can feel that. Um, uh, at different times, uh, whatever those things might be. Um, this is, for me, I think that, that the hardest part of, um, uh, of going through COVID was the loss of community worship. I don't know how true that was for everyone else, but sort of this idea of being able to come together and worship. Now, we, we cheated a little bit, and the music team came, and I came, and we recorded a service audio and posted it online. So I still got to have a little bit of it, um, but... Uh, that was, I, I could feel, I did not pray this psalm during that time, but I could feel that during this time too, is that we've lost what gives us direction, what gives us meaning, what orients our lives. Where are you, God, in this, in the middle of this night? Um, this psalm inspires all those sorts of questions. Um, and it might be, or it is worth, Situating yourself within, with whatever frame of reference sort of fits. Um, and again, tomorrow's a new day. You'll find a new anguish like many of us do. Um, and so uh, we have those poles in us as well where these, we, where these can hit us. But the psalm starts, you know, in the evening as I spoke. I cried out for God to help. I've cried out to God to hear me. When I was in my distress, I sought the Lord. I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. The psalmist here in the middle of the evening, and, and it's not, um, if you've ever, when you've gone through suffering or pain or loss, if you're like, I think, most people, it's the evening that you just ruminate on that. It's almost like you begin to long for work because it's distracting. You begin to long for the day where people are around because you have other distractions. But when you lay down, when you situate yourself in sort of your home at night with those things gone, and we have endless distractions nowadays too, so it's like you're never alone. Just pull up Netflix. Um, but if you let yourself be in that spot, um, I reach out with untiring hands. Hand comes up at the end of the psalm, so we'll get there, but... I reach out in this place and I cannot find comfort. The agony of the soul at night. Um, again, even to the benefit of the two who want to think about this as self-pity, it is real. Um, it is anguish. It does cause you to stretch out and feel that there's no hope there. Um, that all is lost. Um, and I use the phrase self-pity. One of the things um, I've been relating to somebody who lost somebody near to them and they feel like they're obsessed with self-pity. And I was like, here's the test to know if it's not self-pity. Other people are having pity upon you. Um, so if, if um, you've lost something great and other people feel terrible for you, it's okay to feel terrible because that's like... 
Now, if you're like, I'm really obsessed about like the promotion I didn't get and other people are like, you're fine, particularly your spouse or someone like that, or you're obsessed about um, you know, a car breaking down and people are like, look, we'll get it fixed, this, that, and the other. Like you can, self-pity is more the pity that is not shared by anybody else in your world. Um, and so much so that like when I have those moments, you know, Kelly will give me like a minute. She'll be like, oh, it's so bad. This, that, and the other. And if I'm like, yeah, but she's like, no, no, you need to wake up. You need to get out of this. You need to. And so then you have this choice, right, to then continue in self-pity. Nobody else thinks this is a big deal. Or um, to acknowledge that perhaps this was a moment of my own uh, self-delusion or whatever you want to say. Um, point saying is if I use the phrase self-pity and somebody's in actual hurt and they're worried about, am I being too pitiful on myself? Probably not, because other people see it. Um, if they are all alone and people are like, I don't get the big deal, or, or we'll be with you through it, but let it go, then, then perhaps that's what I think is meant by self-pity there. Um, but yeah, I would cry it out in the night and I would not be comforted. The psalmist continues, um, I remembered you, God, and I groan. I meditated and my spirit grew faint. Uh, this is where he blames God for his insomnia. You kept my eyes from closing. Um, which I think is, uh, I think we can feel that, with the, that you are keeping me from the peace that I need here. Um, I was too troubled to speak. I thought about my former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. I believe this is where um, he's saying that I used to have a lullaby that put me to sleep. I used to count sheep, and it worked. I used to remember, and I think what's going to be interesting as we move in the psalm, I used to remember my blessings of of old, you could almost hear in this. Like, I used to count things that were good for me, and it would make me go to sleep. I tried counting those glorious days I had, and it didn't work, which is going to set up a contrast when we move to the second part of the psalm, is that the psalmist here is very enclosed within his own world. Now, real hurt or not, um, this enclosure is shutting the soul down. It's making the soul smaller in some sense. It's not letting it breathe, but bringing about sort of this suffocation of it, and it bringing about its own insomnia, although the psalmist would like to blame God for the insomnia. Um, and again, it's a, I just think about the times I felt that way, when it's hard to sleep, when it's hard to finally let go. Um, nothing works. Uh, you, you just ruminate in your own cycles. Um, uh, I sung my lullabies, and they did not work. Um, uh, I have a, that, that, that's, anyways. Um, the psalmist then goes to his next point, um, and these are, he asks these theological questions. Um, my heart meditated, and my spirit asked, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? The psalmist reaches his breaking point, and what he does is begin to question the character of God. 
was God ever good? Will God be good again in the future? Is that truth in which we know about God ever going to be there? And what um, I love about this sort of passage in some ways is that the, um, the psalmist is like, God is still there, but has he forgotten? Has he gone asleep? Is this not going to be our reality anymore? And I think in many ways, um, our own self-enclosures during dark times can bring about these questions of, of sure, I can remember um, some sense that I have a relationship to this God, um, but is this love vanishing? Is this character that I knew no longer there for me? What's interesting about the, the ways in which he laments is, is this sort of exclosure of God's identity in the book of Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to the thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes their children and their children for the sin of parents to the third and fourth generation. Um, the last part is, is a good contrast, is that God still has this room for, for negative things to not be forever because self um, Violence towards other needs a consequence, but it's always worth remembering that goodness goes to thousands of generations. Badness extends only a short time, which is a good contrast. But, but what the psalmist is doing is going to this bedrock statement of the revelation of God's character and saying, are you going to be that person anymore? Is God going to act in those ways again? And for the Israelites, this from Exodus 34 or 35, I can't remember off the top of my head, is a huge question, or is a huge revelation of God's identity. It is the one and the bedrock of sort of which their faith is founded. So the question, to question that, exile, self-pity, whatever it might be, is to say, is God still God? Is this one who revealed and rescued, is that one still the one whom is we are looking towards. Which brings us to the next part. Then I thought, this is where the psalm turns. Um, then I thought to this, I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. Now this first verse here has so many different variants. We read it at house church together. And there are ones that say, is it my fault? Is it my fault that God's hand no longer stretches out? Um, there's a Jewish one I think we'll read to end the sermon here, depending on the time, um, that sort of says, is the Lord's hand withered? Does God still have the strength within him to do these things, or has he grown weak? There's, there's a lot of ambiguity here that the NIV, the ESV, several translations really smooth out a little bit too much, I think. Um, that's, this is the NIV. But to this why I appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. The, the psalmist now has to expand himself, herself, has to, to, to make themselves bigger. The solution is not going to come in counting my blessings. The solution is not going to come in ruminating about what I've done and how I live my life. The solution is not going to come in my lullabies. And so, um, I forget who it was who pointed this out, but to the, the answer to the questions that he proposed is a story. 
It's a story about who God was. He takes himself in this remembrance story of who God revealed himself to be. And in that way, he, he goes from sort of individuality to joining the community again. These are the stories of the community. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Now, Rachel read for us during the worship set, which we read every, we, I read every Sunday is that, you know, um, on the night in which the Lord was betrayed, um, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We talked about this at house church, but remembrance is such a key for the um, Judaic, the Old Testament, and because of communion, the New Testament, we just have forgotten about it uh, in, as late Christians. Remembrance is so vital to knowing who you are, where you are going, who God was, is to remember the events in which inspired that. And what's hard for us in our individualized sort of modern world is that like, but they aren't things that happened to me. I have to be able to stretch myself beyond to see in Christ. And this is the quote on the back of the bulletin this week, that God has whoever raised Jesus from the dead, having previously raised um, Israel out of Egypt, um, uh, is to remember those things. Now, this is hard for us because our solution would be, remember the good things that are oriented towards me. But we are a part of a people um, that goes on before us. And this is what the psalmist is going to do. He wasn't engaged in the Exodus story that he appeals to. Or there's another way of reading it in the creation story where God is, because the sea chaos, which we talked about a lot in the book of Job, is that metaphors he's using, is that the chaos and the freedom that God gave the people in the Exodus is not something he experienced, he or she experienced. It's something that um, is the memory of a community that stretches past them. And that is not often how we function, even though every Sunday, um, do this in remembrance of me. So much of our stuff is, I need to remember what's immediate to me. Um, uh, so then he, uh, sorry, um, I remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I remember your miracles of long ago. I consider all your works and meditate. Remember earlier he was meditating on uh, sort of a vagueness. There's no clue to what he was meditating on. I think ruminating on himself, perhaps. Meditate on all your mighty deeds. I look outside my world and into another one. Um, the next part of the Psalms, I remembered you, God, and I groaned. I meditated and my... Sp that went the wrong way. Oh, no, that's right up there. Sorry, the back TV froze. <laughs> your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great is our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. God, here he remembers, is this one who is holy and great. Holiness um, speaks in contrast to all that is human. God is this one who is beyond. God is this one who has other ways of being. And what, the, what happens for the psalmist as he goes through this is tradition tends to reconstitute his experience, tends to bring him about a different way of being, a different way of, of, of understanding the world. 
And what happens as he remembers the past, and this is, I think, again, where we're limited as modern people, he doesn't understand, he projects it into the present. So people who say, um, if you ask to remember the road trip with your family, every time you bring that memory to the present, it becomes changed. This is sort of some brain science, some just observational data. Every time we tell the story, it sort of becomes changed, this, that, and the other. But what the psalmist does by going backwards in this way, he brings forth that memory to the present. Um, If he were waiting for some kind of new miracle, he may not get the same hope that he has. But if he's pulling from the tradition and the covenant community and the larger experience, he has other options available to him as he pulls him to the present. He's able to make something new of it. And so he remembers the wonders of God and the greatness of God and how God has redeemed his people, Jacob and Joseph. Um, and he recounts the Exodus story in this beautiful way in this last part. The water saw you, God. The water saw you and withered. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the world wood, and the lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your ways through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. This first memory um, has this way of sort of walking through um, that Exodus story in sort of cosmic dimensions. It's not just the Red Sea was parted in this minor way and we walked through it and that was the end of the story. But he remembers how God's power was beyond that in that moment. And again, if we listen to this within that mindset of the chaotic sea monster that God sort of extinguishes to sort of bring about creation, which is a parallel myth, it's this cosmic God that has so much more beyond it. He remembers the particular story, but in a way that speaks to him that God is larger than the present circumstances of his life. Um, you created this path through the sea. You led your people. Shelley knows this one quite well, that, that why is this night different than every other night is the question of the Passover, which connects to what we said about 1 Corinthians that, that, that Rachel read for us. Why is this night different than every other night? We remember the bedrock experience in which God brings about a new people. Um, the last two things here are in these last two verses. Your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. For the psalmist, for the one experiencing this anguish in night, for us as we do, where is God active in our lives? Where is God going to be seen in the life of the community going through this in exile? Your footprints will not be seen. God's hidden hand and faithfulness in guiding through this is part of what he says. Oh, my soul waits for a miracle to solve these problems, self-pity or not. What I know from past experiences is that when we walked through the sea to the creation of our new life in being, the footprints were not seen. That God was hidden in that. What he says next is that you led your people like a flock. This is where we read, um, Park read for us. The Lord declares himself a good shepherd. Now flocks, pastors will spend a lot of time talking about how dumb sheep are, which is not really the point of those metaphors. The point of those metaphors is that 
left to our own devices, technology, and other things, we have limited capabilities, but we have a shepherd who guides us through in a different way. We have a shepherd who guides us like a flock. And though while God's footprints were not seen, what I find amazing, and it's if these last lines of the psalmist going to sleep, perhaps, um, is that God provided human hands, the hands of Moses and the hands of Aaron. Um, Again, the psalmist wasn't there, but there's this um, beautiful way in which the psalm journeys through that individual anguish to this corporate communal memory that declares though God may be unseen in my grief and in my slavery and my struggles he leads his people still like a flock even if it's through human hands and it is here I think the psalmist is able to fall asleep it is here as he remembers and expands himself to remembering the good deeds of God the faithfulness of God God's promises to be there that he's able to bring forth those in the presence and to bring forth new meaning for himself in darkness unable to sleep um, and I think for us then that question is how through our memories as we center ourselves on the table how through our telling of these stories they be of the New Testament or old are we expanding ourselves into a larger stream beyond the individualized family beyond the individualized notion that I am the container of all that is good in the world or only good things happen to me but to join the people of God whose faithfulness extends beyond us and so much so that the good things that God has done for others today and yesterday might speak over the anguish that I feel sometimes doesn't obliterate your pain doesn't take it away but it says that there is an unseen element moving through this I might certainly run it better myself but it would only serve myself find ourselves drawn in the community that stretches beyond that in time and in other ways is perhaps the goodness of this psalm so we'll um, end in prayer but instead of doing a prayer I'll just read the psalm again once through this translation let us pray with my voice O God of gods I desperately cry to my voice, O God, O gods, give ear at once. When I implore my God and seek my Lord, his right hand attacks at night and does not slacken. His mind refused to relent. I think of God and groan. I speak and my spirit faints. My eyes are accustomed to vigils. I pace the floor and do not recline. I consider the days of old. I remember the years long past. Though the night I play the lyre, with my heart I commune, that my spirit might be healed. Will the Lord be angry forever 
and no longer show his favor again? Has his kindness ceased forever? Have visions from him come to an end? Have the innermost parts of God dried up or has his bosom shrunk in his anger? Perhaps his sickness is this. The right hand of the Most High has withered. But I will recite your magnificent deeds. Indeed, will I recite your marvels of old. And I will number your works completely and speak of your mighty deeds. O God, your dominion is over the holy ones. What God is greater than you, O God? You are the supreme God who works miracles, who made known your strength among the peoples. With your powerful your arm, you redeem the sons of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they trembled, even the depths shook with fear. The amassed clouds streamed with water, the heavens echoed your voice, and your arrows shot for back and forth. Your peeling thunder was in the dome of heaven. Your lightning bolts lit up the world. The netherworld quaked and shook. Upon the sea was your passage, your train upon the cosmic waters, and so your heels were not seen. Lead your people like sheep by the hand of a Moses and an Aaron. Amen.